Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Hi, everybody. Thanks for jumping on my podcast, Seeking Light. Today is a special day. Today is my 48th birthday. And I am recording this in advance. But um, I had an experience recently when I was listening to an interview, two segments of an interview with Brett Favre. And I had I had watched Brett play football. Um, not like I know him, I'm saying his name personally. But anyway, I'd watched Brett Favre play football, but I really didn't know much about him and his life. And as I was listening to him, I kept thinking about my brother, Sean. And, um, my brother, Sean is two years younger than me. And we were very close specifically when he got into high school. And when I was in high school, we became very, very close. And he and I had a lot of similarities. We both love sports. We were both very social and, um, we kind of watched out for each other and took care of each other. Now, I think all of my siblings are really amazing and I love them. But as I was listening to this um, interview with Brett Favre, I just started thinking about my brother, Sean. And um, whenever I listen to like, I'm not saying he's a Michael Jordan, but he's close. (laughs) But like when I watched the last dance with Michael Jordan, um, I thought so much about Sean. Whenever I watch a documentary, which, you know, I love documentaries. I constantly think about my brother, Sean, and about like um, documentaries that are about uh, athletes. Um, when I've watched things about Jerry Rice or Wayne Gretzky and what makes them keep going and not stopping Gary Payton. Um, I just, my brother, Sean inspires me and he, um, he might not be large in stature, but his heart is large in stature and he, um, makes me desire to be a better person. And so I reached out to him as I was listening to this interview with Brett Favre. And I said, Sean, would you come on and talk about your life and sports? And so Sean has a very rich life. He, um, he and his wife, Melissa have six children. Um, he went to BYU and got his MBA. He excelled in that, um, program. He's a Bishop right now. Um, he, his, his, he's gone through a lot. His son has diabetes. His daughter, Lydia had leukemia, has leukemia. I don't know if it's like where you say a had or has, but, um, he taught seminary. Uh, he also, um, played college football. And today I just wanted you to hear his story about how sports affected his life and how it taught him so many life lessons and shaped him as a person. And I thoroughly enjoy sitting and talking to him and spending time with him. And I think that you will be able to sit and enjoy this podcast today, listening to him talk about his life. I hope you do, but I couldn't think of a better birthday gift to myself than to spend time with one of my heroes here on this earth and someone that I look up to very much and love very much. And that's my brother, Sean. So enjoy this um, Friday's podcast. Okay. So I've already done an intro. So Sean, just, I'm going to welcome you to the podcast. So say hello. Hello. Okay. Good to be with you. (laughs) 
Okay. So I already told everybody that it's my birthday and I couldn't have picked a better person to have a conversation with than you, because you're one of my favorite people on the earth. Oh, thanks Beth. Happy birthday. <laughs> okay. So, um, I was telling in my intro and I kind of, I mentioned it to you that I had watched this. I listened to this Brett Favre interview and Brett, it was a two-part interview and Brett talked all about his youth, his career, um, just all the things he went through. And every time I watch an athlete, now I'm not trying to compare you to Michael Jordan, so don't get a big head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please don't. <laughs> but like, when I think of like, I watched this other show about Wayne Gretzky and Jerry Rice, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's my brother, Sean. I mean, they're a little bit more excelled but <laughs> they're a lot better but yes <laughs> okay so I said to Sean I want to talk to you what in the world you are so you're the most driven fearless um tenacious like you don't quit so I want to start when you were younger I mean we grew up together so my lens will be different than your lens but I want you to tell me where did it come from how did it happen what talk about when you were younger, where do you first remember feeling like you're just never going to quit and you're going to fight, fight, fight? Uh, that's a good question, Beth. I, um, I think a lot of it was being number five out of six, you know, uh, being one of the younger and having three older brothers and then you as an older sister. And then Megan obviously has a younger sister, but, um, we were always out doing something and I wanted to be there. And one of the things I, I will always be grateful for, um, starting when I was little, is I was always included. Um, you know, Dan, Dave, Matt, you always included me in what you were doing. And I never felt that you were embarrassed to have me around. Um, you, you know, I felt like, maybe you guys felt different, but <laughs> that you wanted me to be there. And to me, part of it was just, if I was going to be there, I wanted to prove that I should be there. You know, and so especially as I got a little bit older, I don't remember a moment in time where it was, oh, okay, I, um, I don't ever want to quit. I just, I, um, I just, I remember going out playing with you guys and, um, and just wanting, wanting to prove that I, I was good enough to be there. And um, so I think, I think being younger, I think that was a big part of it. I think being smaller too, you know, I was always smaller growing up. And um, I always felt like, you know, no one thought I could do it. And so this, this idea of trying to prove people wrong has been probably a big driver for me, which probably oh, is not healthy, but it's true. It's true. Um, I, I, you know what I just realized? I think that's why I, I love you so much is I always love the underdog. <laughs> you're, you're a little bit, I mean, give your height. What's your height? What's your weight? Right. I mean, I know it varies, but what's your height? Well, I was. So when I was an eighth grader in the beginning of eighth grade, I was four foot 11 and 79 pounds. Yeah. So I had to, I had to sign, I think mom and dad had to sign a waiver so that I could play football just in case I died. So the city wouldn't be responsible for me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I was four 11, 79 pounds, I think is what I was in eighth grade in ninth grade. I think I was five, three, 103 pounds or something like that. So I was always a little bit a little bit smaller. Um, and so I think that was a big deal too, is I just, um, 
I did. I felt like I'm going to prove to people that I can do it. And, um, and then as I got a little bit bigger, not that I ever got big, um, I probably as a senior in high school, I was probably five, eight, 140, 145 pounds. Even when I weighed in, when I went to play college at Rick's, um, when I weighed in there, I was 153 pounds. And, um, so I, I was never really big. Um, I did lift weights that next year and I put on a lot of muscle and I weighed in at 171 pounds my next year. But the problem was I put way too much weight on and I wasn't quite as fast and quick as I had been in the past. So anyway, I was never big is the point. So I think that was a big thing as well. I think another thing, Beth, um, and maybe we can talk about more of these in detail as we go, but I think mom and dad also, um, you know, I remember as a little boy going and watching dad play basketball and obviously he was very competitive and he wanted to win. And I think watching that, I think it's in our DNA. Um, to want to be winners. Um, I don't think mom and dad raised us to be losers in any way. Um, I think they, they challenged us to be the best that we could be. And um, so I know those are the first things that come to mind. I think those things all did have a significant impact in my life. Yeah. You know, I think dad going, cause so those of you listening, when we were younger, we lived in Idaho out in the country and our dad played on um, church basketball teams but he would play late at night. I mean, it felt like a late at night to me. I don't know. Maybe it was really like eight or something, but nine, I don't know, but he would let us come watch him play. And when we would go, I mean, I felt like I, the smell of the gym, the movement of the rubber soles on the court, like those things just ignited me to want to do what dad was doing. Did you feel the same way? Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely watching him out there and I, again, I'm probably biased because I was a son, but I always thought he was the best player on the court. Or I even, I remember watching him play softball as well. And he was the best and he hustled, you know, we played hard. And I remember that. I remember that as a little boy watching him. And then the way that he worked, um, I'm sure people who've listened to your podcast have heard you talk about him. And, but, you know, he worked three jobs. And um, I remember going and um, in one of the jobs he, he did throughout the night. And I remember going just to spend time with him and I slept in the car. So I think he taught us um, and mom did too. I mean, while he was out doing the three jobs, mom was trying to hold things down at home. And so I think, you know, our parents had a huge impact, their work ethic and again, not giving up and continuing to fight and trusting in God. And I mean, all of those things I think were a big part of our growing up. So I'm grateful for all of those. Did you have a specific sport that you loved that you felt like you excelled in? When you were, let's say, um, middle, well, cause in Idaho, we really didn't play, uh, organized sports. So when you got to, when we got to, uh, Oregon, was there a sport that you enjoyed more than the others? Yeah. You know, when we were in Idaho, I remember playing soccer a little bit, but I would wear my jeans and <laughs> we were never really dressed, dressed to play to our best, but I remember playing soccer. I remember competing in track and field. We'd do a field day at the elementary school. Yes, I remember. And that. I remember, I remember that. And I remember, you know, doing well. I was fast, but I could also um, run longer distances. So I remember, I, I felt successful in sports. We did a lot in the backyard. You know, a lot of tag and um, you know riding bikes and doing all sorts of things. Um, when I got to Oregon. Um, you know, I started to play baseball. I played baseball in fourth grade, but I was terrible. Actually, I played in third grade too. I played t-ball. And um, the only thing I remember about that season is I got a bloody nose and <laughs> I was out in the outfield wiping my bloody nose and it was all over my glove. But um, 
you know, my fourth grade year, I wasn't great. And for some reason they moved me on the better team. I think it's because all my friends were on the team. And so the coach probably felt bad, but then I went into my fifth grade year and I felt like I was the best on the team. So something had happened. I started playing a lot of wiffle ball with my friends. Um, I had a couple of friends that every day we would play wiffle ball, which is like baseball, except with the plastic ball. And, um, and I think my skills started to develop because I think I was a pretty good athlete but my still skills started to come along. And then my fifth grade year, I played shortstop and I, I was, um, you know, I was in the important positions. I didn't feel like I was not good anymore. I felt like I was pretty good. Um, but I was afraid to get hit by the ball. So I stopped playing baseball. <laughs> so, um, you know, in sixth grade, seventh grade, um, I didn't really, um, I don't remember playing. I played basketball and it was kind of the same story. I think with me, you know, I, I would start, And once I started to gain confidence in myself, then I think my skills started to come out. But at first I would come in a little bit tentative. So basketball, I felt like I was one of the better players on the team. I remember playing football in seventh grade and I was tiny and they put me at tight end and people would just run over me. And it was, I mean, it was horrible. It was the worst season ever. (laughs) We were a running team. We didn't pass. I mean, we didn't do anything. And then eighth grade, we got a new coach. And I remember my friends and I played a lot of football with, with you guys, with you right. and Matt, Matt right. and Dave, we played all the time. And um, so I think my skills were really developing. I felt like I could catch anything. If I touched it, I could catch it. And um, anyway, I remember my friends coming and, and part of it, I think Beth too, is where we grew up is the schools weren't huge. It weren't, it wasn't like the teams were big. Like I feel bad for my kids now, you know, there's, 2,200 kids at the high school for three grades, you know, you, the coaches don't necessarily take time to develop where for you and I, I think the coaches were willing to say, Hey, we don't have enough players (laughs) go out and try to find kids who can play. And anyway, I remember getting invited in eighth grade. They said, Sean, come out and play with us. And I did. And we had a coach who loved to throw and my friend was our quarterback. And I felt like they threw to me all the time. And I had a lot of touchdowns. And so I gained a lot of confidence um, that's probably Beth for football. When I started to say, you know what, I think I'm pretty good. I'm not that big, but I, because I had gone out and played with Matt and Dave so much and they're, you know, they're four and five years older than me. Um, you know, I felt like, well, if I can compete with them, then I'd go back and play kids my own age. And even though they were bigger, I felt like I could really dominate. Um, and, uh, so anyway, I do remember one other thing, Beth is I remember playing football in the backyard in our house at Burley. And I remember Dan, who's eight years older than me. I remember he got the ball and I tackled him um, and he probably let me tackle him. But anyway, it was the first time I ever brought him down. And I felt kind of invincible. I was like, if I can tackle my oldest brother, then I can take on anyone. (laughs) So that was that's a moment I do remember. (laughs) Well, you know, we did spend hours and hours and hours outside football, basketball, baseball, softball, tag, bikes. I mean, that's what we did. That's all we did. Kick the can. Do you remember kick the can? can? Oh yeah. Oh, late at night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was probably not as late as I think it was, but it felt late at night. Yep. Yeah. I think we were always, we were very, very active. And I think that made a big deal. I mean, biking places we lived, you know, especially as I started to get a little bit older, we were out in the country. And if you wanted to go to a friend's house, you had to walk a long ways <laughs> so, or get on your bike. Yeah. Yeah. Or get on your bike. And, um, and we would usually, 
um, give each other a ride. We had those banana seats. Do you remember that? And so not only were we riding ourselves, we were usually riding one of our siblings. So anyway, um, and being, again, being younger and trying to keep up with everyone, I'm sure helped me. (laughs) So did you ever feel intimidated by anybody as you went through middle school and you started to head into high school? Did you feel any intimidation from any other athletes you were playing against at all? Do you recall any emotions like that? Not really. And I think Beth, part of it was because I'd been playing with, you know, older siblings and I felt like I could compete. Um, especially as I got older and got a little bit bigger, I felt like I can compete, but I remember going out and playing football with Dave and Matt. And I don't remember all their friends, but I remember like John Fogelson. I don't know if you yes, remember yes. him. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> and that, that whole group. And I remember tackling those kids and, you know, and, and trying to guard them and all of that. And, and um, so then I'd go back and play with kids my own age. They weren't as fast. They weren't as big, even though they were bigger than me. Anytime I played with kids my own age, I don't think I ever felt intimidated. Intimidated. Ever. Yeah. I don't remember that. And I don't know, maybe you remember differently, but I don't no. remember. And what was interesting for me, Beth, is when I stepped on the field, it was different. Like there was something different. Um where um, I remember someone saying to me, I used to be a teacher a long time ago, and they said, why don't you teach like you play sports? Like you're, you're fearless and you're, you know, and, you know, when you teach, you, you know, you seem more reserved and things like that. And anyway, I do think when I'm on the field or the court, I do have a little bit different, maybe a different personality, <laughs> a little bit. Um, and I don't know where that comes from, but I do want to, I love to compete, Beth. I love to compete still to this day. I love to compete. Yes, there's just something about, <laughs> yeah, there's just something, no matter what it is, it can be board games. Anyway, it's probably caused a lot of problems in my life, but I do love to compete. I love to compete. I think that's in our DNA. <laughs> okay. I want to ask you, because one thing that Brett talked about, which I didn't know, I mean, I'm not trying to compare you to Brett Favre, but I do see so many similarities in, in you with all these, these athletes that are just unbelievable. He had a father that was very, very hard on him. He never told Brett anything good that he did. I don't feel that dad was that way at all with us. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like how, what do you recall? I never, dad only corrected me a little bit with basketball when he was coaching our church basketball team. He he corrected me a little bit on my dribble and my shot, but that was it. So talk, I want you to talk a little bit about your recollection with dad in regards to like playing sports. Yeah, I don't remember dad ever being hard on us at all. Um, The one thing I do remember is, you know, dad was very, very busy. Both mom and dad were very busy. And so I remember when they would come and they couldn't come to all the games. And I understood that. I mean, you had six kids and I, I, by the way, I understand it actually more now (laughs) than I did growing up because having six kids and trying to divide and conquer, it's really, really hard. But I do remember when he would come, I wanted to show him. And I don't know why he never was hard on me. He never was, you know, you can play better than that. I do remember him saying things like, I remember one time I brought my um, report card home and he said, you got to be, he said, I think you can do better than that. And I was like, I think I can too. It wasn't a mean thing. It wasn't anything like that, but it was, I think you're better than that, Sean. But I don't remember him. I don't ever remember feeling like, oh, dad doesn't think I can do it or, but I did when he would come, 
Like I remember one time playing a basketball game and I may get emotional as part of this, but I'll try not to, but I remember he walked in um, when I was playing a basketball game and I looked over. <sighs> Sorry. And he was dressed in his work clothes. Um, Cause I'm sure it was on a Saturday and he was probably working. It was probably his lunch break. <laughs> Sorry. This doesn't make for good radio <laughs> to have all this quiet time. But anyway, we were, I remember just looking over and I want to play hard and um, make it worth, you know, him coming and watching. So I, I think that's been a big thing for me too, is, you know, if people come to watch me play or things like that, I'm, I want to give them a show. <laughs> so anyway, you want to perform. <laughs> well, you know, that yeah. was, that yeah, was, that's right. That was another thing that I, mom and dad really could not attend our events. I mean, I can count on one hand, the time that they were able to come and watch me play soccer, basketball, run track, but it was because, you know, dad worked all the time and mom was very busy with trying to juggle our schedules. And, um, I just felt like anytime they showed up, I knew exactly where they were sitting and I definitely wanted to make sure and not waste their time. And I wanted to perform at my best ability, but they never said anything to me about you better do good. You better win this game. They were, it was never that at all, but I did want to compete harder to show them um, that I was a good athlete and that I was trying hard. Yeah. I Beth, I felt, I felt the same. Yeah. I felt the same. I don't remember him even saying, Hey, do you, have you thought about playing baseball, Sean? Or have you thought about playing basketball? I don't remember mom and dad ever doing that with me. Um, you know, I do that with my kids now. <laughs> so I'm like, do you want to play this? Do you want to play that? And we've kind of said a thing in our family that you have to play one sport and you have to play a musical instrument. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, but I don't remember mom and dad. I don't remember them pushing me. It was probably more coaches. Um, and maybe I'll get to some of those stories a little bit later. Yeah. I want you to actually tell some, so you, you finish middle school, you're, you're an athlete, you're good. And now it's the first time in my life where I understand why you were one of the main reasons why you were fearless is you were playing against all of us and, uh, we were bigger than you. And yet you, when you would go play your peers, you were about able to compete against them because you had played against us for so long. I never, I yeah. never realized that. Oh, I think it was huge for me, Beth. It was really, really big. And that's why, like, as I look back, I really appreciate that you guys always included me, you know, and I try to tell our kids that is take your younger brothers and sisters, you know, and sometimes it's like, Oh, dad, you know, but you know, they're annoying or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I, and maybe you guys felt that too, but I, you, if you did, you never let me know that. Um, I always felt like you included me in everything. And I really appreciate that because it did make a huge difference, but yeah, in eighth grade, I got cut from the basketball. I tried out <laughs> for the, the, the basketball team. And I remember they told me, um, they, and I actually thought I had great practices. I could score. I felt like I could score on anyone, but I remember them coming back and telling me you're too small and um, it really, really ticked me off, actually. And so I went into my freshman year, and I ended up making the freshman basketball team. And I don't remember who, maybe it was you, Beth, to try out, because I think I had kind of said, I'm, I'm going to give up on basketball. But anyway, maybe it was you, maybe it was someone else. I don't remember. But 
I, I decided to try out. I tried out and I made the team over a lot of those kids that, that um, played. had played the year before on the, the select, they called it the select team. And um, anyway, and that was really, really important, really, really important for a number of reasons. One, I made the team, I ended up starting. Um, and um, so that was big for my confidence, but then also my basketball coach, um, he got me into other sports. So he asked me if I played baseball and I said, not since fifth grade, cause I'm afraid to get hit by the ball. <laughs> Actually, I don't know if I told him that, but I was anyway. So he, um, he said, well, you're going to play baseball. And, you know, we grew up, we didn't have a lot of money. Um, I was always worried about equipment and shoes and things like that. And he said, Sean, I'll buy everything for you. And he did. He bought me gloves, spikes, bat, everything. And he would take me out and he taught me how to play baseball and um, so I, I played, um, and I played soccer. I didn't say that my freshman year, my, my last game in football in eighth grade, I hurt my back. And the doctor said that I had to take a year off. And um, so I ended up playing soccer and I'm sure you inspired me to do that. I'm sure that's what it was. <laughs> and uh, I was not very good, but I tried hard. I tried really hard. And I think because I tried hard, my skills started to come. Um, and I was an okay soccer player, but I, I don't know that I was ever great but I was fast and, and I was willing to try. And at that point, soccer wasn't as big, you know, in our, in our area, probably in the United States as it is today. Right. So I didn't, I didn't have to be too skilled. I, <laughs> I know. Guess. But then I, I played, Go so I, I did soccer and then I did basketball and then I ended up playing baseball and I ended up starting again. There, there was a select team the year before. And um, in fact, one of the kids told me, he's like, what position are you trying out for? And I told him second base, because that's what my basketball coach told me to do. And um, he's like, well, I played second base, so you're not going to you're not going to make it. And, and I was like, oh, give me a break, dude. I um, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> anyway, I ended up starting over him. And um, and I had a, a pretty good year, a really good year as a freshman. And then we went into summer baseball, had a great summer baseball season. I played for an all star team. Um, so anyway, I, that's my ninth grade year was really, really big. And that basketball experience was huge because that coach, um, his name was Alan Campbell. He was, um, he was connected to all the coaches for football, for basketball, for baseball. Um, and I think he said some very nice things about me, which then opened doors later on. So my sophomore year, I played half the year soccer. And I remember, and I was getting better and better at soccer. And they told me, they said, Sean, we think you can play varsity by the end of the year as a sophomore. And again, it wasn't because I was skilled in any way, but I really hustled. And I think I was good at defense and midfield, but um, I was never going to be a really good soccer player. But I would watch over. We practiced right on the field over from the football team. And I remember watching the football team and just missing it. I missed it so much. I missed playing football. And so I quit soccer in the middle of the year um, and I went over to the football team. And that's kind of where the shift happened. And I started the very first game. I, I shifted over and I started. And again, I look at our kids' high school now and I'm like, that just this would never happen. I mean, they have so many kids out for football that coaches wouldn't have even given me a look. But because I'd been playing with you guys, I knew how to tackle. I was fast. Um, I, was, I wasn't afraid at all. I didn't mind. I remember the first time we played Springfield actually. And they had this big running back and he came around the corner and I went and I hit him with everything that I had and he went backwards. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm not that big, but I'm also, I'm, I'm not afraid of any of you. I remember I had a helmet because I started halfway through. I had to wear a, 
snow cap underneath my helmet because my helmet was too big <laughs> I don't know if you remember that but anyway so um okay did uh did you say Alan Campbell yes yeah okay what about um Taransky yeah okay what how was he connected to your athletics and your life because I know that Alan's family was very uh, supportive and kind and generous to you they were great yeah so Alan, going back to eighth grade, Alan was the quarterback on the football team. Okay. And, um, and, and he, I mean, I'm trying to remember how, cause he went to a different middle school than I did. And I'm trying to remember that may have been the first time was on that football team that we connected and we became really good friends. Again, he was the quarterback. I was the receiver. I remember he threw to me a lot and I, I don't remember how many receptions I had, but I remember touchdowns and um I, I he loved it i loved it i remember going to his house and his family was excuse me amazing to me all the way through high school in fact his mom every night before football games would do different lasagnas for us and we would all eat there and um he was an amazing friend to me and his family was great to me but yeah eighth grade year was when we first came in contact he then played basketball with me um, we played on the same basketball team. Um, he didn't play baseball, um, but we did basketball and football together. Okay. Now this is just a little bit of a, spiritually speaking, where did you feel like you were with your testimony during these years of athletics and games and practices? And because I know for us, uh, I got to a point where they wanted us to practice on Sundays and I personally had decided not to do it. So spiritually speaking, how was that for you? in regards to sports and your spiritual growth? Yeah, you know, Beth, uh, mom and dad always gave us space. And what I remember is they said, you can't miss church, but it's your choice. You choose. And I remember playing a couple of basketball games on Sunday. Um, and then I remember thinking, I, I'm just not going to do that anymore. And I think my freshman year in seminary was big. We studied the Old Testament and I remember thinking, man, I, God isn't very nice. Like, I, I don't know how I, feel, how I feel about him. <laughs> and then I went into my sophomore year and we studied the New Testament. And that spiritually for me was probably the time that I really, really shifted. I think I came to know the Savior in a different way. Um, you know, when um, Sister Bevins was my seminary teacher and we just read, we read, um, we read the New Testament together. And I remember it just came alive for me. And um, I came to love Paul. You know, he was a hero of mine. Uh, obviously, I came to love the Savior and who he was and what he stood for. So it was probably my sophomore year. In fact, my sophomore year in baseball, um, I played for a team and um, the, I played for the high school team again. And then I played summer ball. And the summer ball team played every Sunday. I mean, you had... Um, tournaments and double headers and everything else. And I remember I played a couple of games my sophomore year. And that was the last time I said, I'm not, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done. So I didn't play summer baseball my junior year. And I remember my coaches saying, if you don't play summer baseball, then you're not going to be able to make the team. And I remember thinking, that's okay. I'll put things in God's hands. I'm not going to worry about it too much. And I ended up being team captain. Um, so it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> okay. See, look at you, but this fearless, you just think, okay, who cares? I'm going to do it anyway. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, talk about with football, 
uh, what position did you play? Were you running back? So in high school, um, I played um, defensive back. I, I, I loved free safety, but I would play corner and free right. safety, That's right. free depending safety. on who we're playing. And then on offense, I played um, receiver. We didn't throw a lot in high school. In fact, I think I led the team in catches and I, I think I had 13 or something. <laughs> we just didn't throw. So, but I loved defense and um, I was one of the top tacklers. I got the MVP of our team my senior year. Um, I love to hit. I love to hit. I love to play defense. Um, that was kind of my dream. I wanted to play free safety in college. Um, I started going and watching the Oregon Ducks play and they had been terrible for years. And then uh, my senior year, they went to the Rose Bowl and, um, and I watched, I think every home game and it was with Alan Transky. Alan yeah. and his family would take me to every game. And I was there during some of the, the biggest moments in Oregon football history, like when Kenny Wheaton picked off the ball. And I just remember the feeling in the crowd and um, the free safety had played at our high school. A few, I didn't know him. He was, he was older than me, but he was about my size. He was, I was about five, five, eight, five, nine. And um, he was about the same. And I thought, man, if he can do it, his name was Jeff Sherman. If he oh, can yeah. play college football, Jeff. I can play college football. And so anyway, I just, there were all these things that started to come together. Um, who would you say was your most influential coach through high school and middle school? I think and, and Al, why Al, and why? Yeah, I think you know our baseball coach was one of the top baseball high school baseball coaches um, in the state of Oregon. He was amazing. He understood the game very very well. He was demanding. You know, he you kind of talked about Brett Favre's dad. That was kind of him. He never said good job. He never you know it wasn't that. He just kind of expected you. Um, but he also spent a lot of time developing. I, th I think he was amazing. I think Alan Campbell probably had the most though, even though he only coached me my freshman year in basketball, but he actually followed me all the way through. In fact, um, at the end, we kind of had a falling out that was not great um, because he wanted me to go play baseball um, at a school. Lassen I, in California. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Yeah. And I decided I, I'm not going to go play baseball. I want to go play football. And he was pretty upset because he had kind of paved the way for me to go to, to play there. And he had talked to the coaches and things like that, but I didn't love baseball the same way I loved football. Baseball was slow moving for me. I, I, I probably had ADD or something. <laughs> I couldn't focus, but um, anyway, I loved football, but baseball probably would have been the smarter path, um, but I loved football. So anyway, um, I think he felt like I've done everything, all these things for you. And now you're, you know, going to go do what you want to do. But in the end, in the end, it's kind of where I, what I felt I needed to do. And in regards to an individual, would you say Alan's family and Alan were the most influential in regards to someone that wasn't a coach? Alan, yeah, Alan, and I played together um, through the whole time and he was a great friend for me. You know, when as I went into high school, you know, friends changed, you know, and but Alan was always someone that was there for me, um, all the way through. Um, and, um, Sean Lewis was another one that was a great friend. We played football together. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely had some really good friends that, that helped me, but Alan, Alan was, 
he came from a great family. Um, they were very supportive and they were really good to me. Yeah, they were. Okay. So did you know that you wanted to go play football for Ricks? No, no, not at all. Actually coming out of high school. Um, I, I wasn't big, um, as we've talked. (laughs) So I did have more opportunities in baseball. There were more people um, that were interested in me for baseball, but, um, I ended up going down to California and I went and visited several junior colleges and I thought that's what I'll do. I'll go to junior college. Um, I'll continue to grow and develop and then I'll, you know, go play. My dream was to play at a PAC 12, PAC 10 at the time, PAC 10 school. Um, and, uh, a friend who was a year ahead of me was playing at Stanford. So Kylie Wong, which yep. you know, well, Kylie, yep. so I went down and visited him at Stanford. And then we went and looked at several of the junior colleges in the area. And one of the junior colleges was called Foothill. They actually wanted me, I could talk to both the football coach and the baseball coach, and they wanted me to play both, which I thought was awesome because one of my, you know, one of the people I looked up to in sports was Dion Sanders and he played both. And so I thought, in fact, I was number 21 in high school, which was his football number. Yes. Yes. I remember. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But anyway, I thought, man, this will be awesome. I'll play both. And then mom and dad said, Sean, don't, and, and they were wise, you know, don't go down to California. I think they were concerned about, um, you know, what I would get caught up in if I did it. And so they said, don't go down there. Um, so I ended up not, not going down to California. Um, I ended up going to Western Oregon and Western Oregon. Um, I actually, you know, the football, I went and worked out the football team and they're like, yeah, you know, you can come on. And, and I ended up, um, during doubles, I was doing really well. In fact, I, in the red and white game, which was their game right before the season started, I, if I remember right, I, I led the team in receptions in that game and I was a true freshman. So that gave me a lot of confidence. I learned a lot there, but the atmosphere was so bad. Um, And we had played, we went down and played Chico state and the atmosphere was so bad. And I thought, I love football, but not this much. And I, I felt it was going to hurt me spiritually. So that's when I called Rick's and um, I had talked to Rick's when I was in high school, I called their coach and they asked me how big I was. And I told him, and he said, oh, you can't play here. So I kind of gave up on them. And I thought, well, man, pound sand then like, you don't think I can play. You've never even seen me. And just cause my size. So I was a little bit bitter towards Rick's football but um, I thought I can play baseball there. I know I can play baseball there. So um, Rick's had offered me a leadership scholarship. And so based on that leadership scholarship, which wasn't huge, but it was something, um, I ended up transferring from Western Oregon to Rick's. And that was another, as I think about these pivotal times in my life, that was a huge one. Because when I went to Rick's, I got there early and I worked as a janitor through the summer, <laughs> um, which I think everyone should be a janitor. Um, at we some all point were, in their Dave, Matt, and I worked from 4 to 7 a.m. <clears throat> yep, yep. I cleaned the girls' dorms. And um, <laughs> yeah. anyway, I, uh, I learned the importance of cleanliness and that not everyone felt the same about cleanliness as I did. <laughs> but um, I was actually, it was while I was working, I met the tight end on the football team. And his name was Lincoln Mihar, and he was an awesome guy. And I told him, I said, I played football at Western Oregon. And I'm sure he looked at me and said, yeah, right. You know, you're not very big. But he said, why don't you come out and throw with us, Sean? And so I went out to throw with the team. And um, the, the, the starting quarterback, Greg Robertson, was there, who was another just amazing person. Uh, Jay Hill, um, who now is the head coach at Weber State, who's another great person. He was there. 
So they had several really important people there. And after the first practice, they came to me and they said, Sean, you can play here. And I didn't tell him, hey, I tried. I talked to Coach Han and he said I was too small. I didn't say anything to him. And they said, we're going to go talk to Coach Han. So they did. They went on their own and they talked to Coach Han and said, So hey, who, who was it that went and talked to him? The coaches uh, or the players? The players did. So Jay okay. Hill, Greg Robertson, um, um, and um, Richard Peterson, um, just a bunch of guys who were on the team for whatever reason. They really just went out of their way. Lincoln Mehire, he was the starting tight end. They went and talked to Coach Han and said, I don't know what they said to him, but basically the message that came back to me was, if you can start, we'll pay for your school. And so I started in the summer workouts, I started doing all the workouts with them. And um, I, you know, it was interesting. I felt like I could hang with any of them. I, I wasn't concerned at all. Jay Hill ended up being an All-American um, corner played at the university of utah and then i think he went to the buffalo bills and was in their camp i mean he was a great great player and going against him every day um i felt like i was getting better and better and better and i was getting bigger too um, again i weighed in at 153 so it wasn't like i was <laughs> a physical specimen but i was getting bigger and i was getting confidence um that hey they think i can play and i had really good hands and i was a good route runner um and i was disciplined and i was willing to put in the work so um, that, that was huge for me. If I wouldn't have been there during the summer doing all of those workouts. Um, and Beth, I guess, as I talk about this whole thing here, here's one of the things that comes to me is one of the things that I love is what's important to us is important to God. And I've had several experiences in my life that that's been confirmed that other people may not think it's that important, but if it's important to us, it's important to him. And I think he opened doors for me because he knew how much I loved sports and, and how, how it did so many things for me that I think he opened doors and offered me opportunities to do things I wanted to do because it was important to me and therefore it was important to him. And I, I love that thought. And I do believe that. I believe that with all my heart that he will perform miracles and do things, um, to help us do things that we love to do. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Did, did coach Han ever connect the dots that you were the boy that he said, no, you're too small. Did he ever, did he ever say anything to you? No, no. In fact, coach Han um, was another one of those coaches that he was not very personable at all. Um, in fact, he actually came when I lived in California, this is probably five years ago his sister-in-law was in our ward. So we made this connection. I, I taught gospel doctrine and, and I told for some, somehow Rick's college came up and she's like, my brother-in-law was the head coach there. Anyway, we made the connection. He actually came out and talked with me and I went over and spent quite a bit of time with him and it was awesome. And he was really, really gracious and just, it was really good. But when he was a coach, he was a jerk. <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I thought he was, I mean, he, um, I remember one time I made a play and it was a great play. And I looked over at, at it was him and my offensive coordinator. And I think it, I can't remember which one of them said it was probably the offensive coordinator, Ed Larson. He said, he said, don't, don't look at me like for, you know, congratulations or good job. Like we pay you to play. Like we, we pay you to perform. And, um, and that's when I realized, okay, this is different. This is different. Like they're expecting me to deliver at a high level. Um, I 
don't need to look around and say, Hey, did you think that was good? <laughs> Cause they're not going to tell me. So, but, but also um, you need to give the record like Rick's college was champion nationwide champion for junior colleges. Yeah. Rick's was always one of the top three, five in the country. In fact, we played my sophomore year. We played for the national championship. My first year was actually a better team and we ended up third in the country and almost every single starter at Rick's went on to play division one. Um, in fact, I played with guys who ended up playing in the NFL BYU the year after um, I left, I went on a mission after I finished at Rick's, but five of the starters at BYU were my teammates at Rick's. So um, yeah, Rick's was um, one of the best in the country. Um, and coach on, it was one of the best coaches in the country. I mean, very, really very innovative and, and both offense and defense. He ended up moving over to defense when I was there and he brought in another offensive coordinator and we were really, really good. Um, um, really well coached, very disciplined, great offense, great defense. It was a really fun place to play. Now in our society today, they wouldn't have probably kept a coach on because they're too worried about everybody's feelings. So what, what was it about him that made Rick's college great? Like what was it just that he was fearless too, or what was it about him? I think a lot of it was the quality of the athletes um, is you would get a lot of players who maybe they didn't qualify academically for BYU or other schools. In fact, the tight end I was talking about Lincoln Mihar, he had been recruited by Colorado, which Colorado at the time was one of the top programs in the country. He'd been recruited. I think BYU probably had offered him as well, but they call it a prop 48 that you didn't qualify for those schools. And so then you'd go the junior college route. We had several people like that, that were phenomenal. We had a, a guy who came in as a safety, he was like 6'4", 190 safety, ran like a 4'6". And then his second year, he had bulked up to 280. He was Polynesian and was unbelievable. I mean, the hardest I was ever hit ever in my life was by him. And um, anyway, he went on to play in the NFL for the Seahawks. And But we had, so whether it was Prop 48 or it was athletes who were members of the church who wanted to come play for a church school, um, cause they didn't want to practice on Sundays. They didn't want to, but they wanted to be in a really competitive program. So we had some phenomenal athletes. I mean, I could go down the list of every one of them. Um, and they all went and played, um, not all, almost every one of them went and played division one, um, and were successful. Um, so, um, I think the athletes were really good and coach Han built this program of, you know, we're going to be good. And we're going to play the best and we're going to, we're going to compete. We weren't afraid of anyone. I mean, we'd go down and play some of these schools. I remember we played a kid and he was a first team all American. And I think he was going to Washington or USC and he played corner and they're like, you're going to go against him. And I'm like, Oh, you know, fine. I go against Jay Hill every single day in practice. I am not worried about this kid. I don't care who he is. First route I ran against him. I torched him. I torched him. And, um, and I was just like, game on, you know, I, <laughs> Anyway, there, there was Nolan Beth. I got to a point athletically, and this, this is probably going to sound terrible, but there was a point I got to. I, I remember I was practicing basketball a lot. I played basketball a lot. I would go over and shoot. And I remember thinking in my mind, I could beat Michael Jordan. I know I couldn't beat him every single time, <laughs> but I do think if we played 10 games, I think I could beat him. And now I look back, I'm like, no, there's no way I could have beat him like it was such a you know an irrational um thought but that's where i was mentally is i thought i can beat 
anyone. Like I, I don't, I am not afraid to play anyone, anyone at all. And if my shot's on or if I'm playing, you know, I can beat anyone. There's no one who can beat me. And I, I felt that. I felt that. And I don't think it was arrogance, Beth. Maybe it was, but I don't think it was arrogance. It was just, I really had confidence that I had put in the time and the effort and the energy that I almost felt like I deserved to win. I deserved to feel, to, to be good because I was outworking everyone else. That's how I felt. <laughs> um, did you have any other coaches that, I mean, I know Coach Han was tough and he was a jerk, but uh, what about your offensive uh, coordinator? What, what did you think of him? Yeah, Ed Larson had come from Snow College. In fact, he coaches here at Lehigh High School now, and he's had a ton of success. But he had come, and his offense had been the number one offense in the country for junior college for I don't remember how many years, several years. And he was a really, really nice guy um, and really smart, um, a really smart offensive coordinator. I think he'd played quarterback played quarterback at New Mexico or something, and he'd been an assistant, I think a, a graduate assistant at BYU or something. But anyway but really um, good offensive coordinator. Um, I, the coaches were great. The, the other players, you know, we built, it was almost, I, I don't know if you remember the movie Miracle, where yeah. there was almost this bonding with the players against the coach. Not, it's not against the coaches, but it's almost like, hey, like we're together in this. You know, as these coaches are telling us we have to do this or that, or, you know, we feel like they're being tough on us. It almost strengthened our bonds as teammates in players and the quarterback, my first year, um, he, he was awesome. He was a great guy. He was married. You know, he was older. He was more mature. He'd been there for a long time. He had dealt with injuries. He worked his tail off. He was a great guy. And, um, for whatever reason, he liked me and he threw me the ball a lot. And I, um, I'm forever grateful <laughs> to him. And I, 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 I loved, I really loved playing with him. He was, he was really good. Okay. Share with, I want you to share some life lessons that you learned from playing at Rick's college that had to do with football, but taught you about life. So share some of those. I remember Beth, this was a powerful lesson for me and it's it may not be exactly what you're looking for, but I remember um, after a game, I was really, really sore and I was hurting. I, I, so I played receiver at Rick's and then I also punt returned. And I remember I had taken some pretty good hits that game. And I remember I got up the next morning and we had church like at eight in the morning or something. And um, I thought, I'm not going to go. You know, I mean, mom and dad aren't here to tell me I need to go. No one else is. Um, I'm not going to go. And then I remember having this conversation with myself, like, get out of bed, you know, and then I'd be like, no, I'm sore and I'm hurting and I have every reason to stay home and, you know, get out of bed, you lazy turd, you know, kind of a thing. And, and then I realized this very powerful thing that whatever my mind told my body to do, it would do it. And my mind just said, get up. And I got up and I got ready for church and I went to church and, um, and that, I know it seems really small, but it was really powerful because what I learned was there's going to be a lot of times my body's going to say, stop, you know, you can't do it anymore. But if my mind tells my body to do it, it will do it. Um, it will get up. It will run farther. It will, it'll do whatever I need to do. And so that helped me as a missionary. It was something I reflected back on often. I would, um, I served in Brazil and it was hot and, um, we walked a lot and, um, we, I remember one area we served in, it was a lot of hills up and down and 
I mean, we, we walked a ton and I remember there were days I'm like, just, you know, keep going, you know, and you're either going to fall over and die or, you know, you're, you're going to do it. So that was a powerful lesson for me. Um, I think Beth, the other things, you know, you learn teamwork, um, you learn to work hard. I mean, you're, you're going against, um, really, I mean, the one corner I went against, I told you was Jay Hill. The other one I went against was Rob Warcup, who ended up going and starting at BYU. So I was going against really good people every single day. And, um, it, it just helped me. It helped me like I, cause I was so competitive. I wanted to beat them. I wanted to beat them every time and they were really competitive too. And so it just helped me, um, you know, with, with work ethic and pushing myself. And I know that's not necessarily a spiritual thing, but I think it applies very much spiritually. I mean, my experiences at Rick's made me a much better missionary um, because physically I felt like I could do whatever the Lord needed me to do. And in Brazil, again, given how much we walked and how hot it was, um, I, it prepared me so well. Um, so how did, um, playing football and sports in general prepare you to be a father and a husband? Yeah. I, one of the things I love about sports, Beth, is to me, it's a microcosm for life. You know, there's very few things where you can learn such important lessons in such a you know, short period of time. You learn to win you learn to lose, you learn to push yourself. You know, I remember when we first had kids, you know, our first son, um, he got on a schedule real quick and we thought we were the greatest parents in the world because we thought we had trained him to do it right. In fact, I remember saying to you, I, I think I said to you one time, here, well, you know, we'll kind of show you how. And I'm sure he was like, shut up. You have no idea. I have three <laughs> kids. No. Just wait till you get another one. And then our second son came and he didn't sleep for like his first five years because um, he got diabetes when he was a year old. And I remember waking up at night, you know, we, when we had our second or our third son, you know, he was up at night too. And what was amazing was my ear was tuned to Nathan. My wife's ear, Melissa's ear was tuned to Isaac. We were up every night, but we didn't know the other was getting up with the other one. But I think, you know, being a parent, I think being a parent's the hardest thing it's, it's, um, you know, if, if you have one and then you decide to have another, um, whether you're crazy or, <laughs> or I, I think it's, it's selfless, it's completely selfless because you're doing all of this for someone else. And so much, especially when they're little, all the physical, the physical demand, a lot of that I learned from sports to just, it's okay. Don't quit. Don't give up, you know, and, when you feel like you're at the end of your rope and you can't do it anymore, you know, I went back to sports and what I learned in sports and the disappointments, the failures, the successes, all of that. Um, I think we're a big part of it. Okay. What about with, cause you went, you get home from your mission and you don't go on to play uh, football anymore. Um, before, before you tell me about that part right there, what has playing sports helped you in regards to your career? Cause you went and got your MBA. You have worked with corporate, large corporate companies. What has helped you? I mean, like you are the, the most incredible worker. I mean, I love to hear your stories. I, you're amazing. They're blessed to have you in the corporate world. So what, what, how did sports help you 
with your corporate work? Um, you know, I, again, I think the work ethic piece, all of that was big. Uh, let me share just a couple quick. When I got to Rick's Beth, uh, so I had practiced through the summer and, and I didn't tell mom and dad that I was trying out for the team because I was actually worried that if, you know, I was, wasn't going to make it and I didn't want to say, Hey, I tried out and then I didn't make it. They actually found out before I did that I made the team. But I remember the very first day of fall camp and we were doing basically um, the, the 40 yard de- or the, the 40 that your you know, your vertical, how many times you could bench 225, all these things um, weighing in. Anyway, it was kind of like a combine and they, everyone had their, not everyone, but a lot of guys had their shirts off. And again, I weighed 153 pounds and I remember looking around and I thought, I, I can't play here. I mean, these guys are huge. And the difference between high school and college, I mean, Rick's college, the year before I was there, had the largest offensive line in the country at any level, including the NFL. They were huge. They were huge. And my year, we had a big line too. And, you know, the difference between offense, defense alignment, and linebackers from college, high school to college, it's huge. It's huge. And I remember just looking and I thought, I I don't know if I can play here. And these guys are big, but I'm just going to go in. And I'm going to do my best every day. I mean, I weighed 153 pounds. I wouldn't have taken off my shirt. In fact, my first touchdown I scored was a 74 yard touchdown on a screen pass. And it was, we were playing the number three team in the country and I scored in the end zone and I turned towards them and I flexed at them. I flexed at their team <laughs> and we were watching film after the game. And my coach, he, I don't think he saw it during the game. And anyway, so I do it and he stops. He's like, whoa, 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 wait, what was that? Morrison, what were you doing? Were you flexing at them? And I'm like, yeah, I was flexing at them. Anyway, he's like, you have nothing to flex. <laughs> and it was, it was true. You know, I was small, but anyway. Um, so, um, and I ended up um, as a freshman, I ended up, I was, I think uh, I led the team in yards per catch. I think I was second on the team in receptions. I had a really good freshman year, but anyway, that experience of being at Rick's and looking around and seeing all these players at the very beginning thinking, I can't play here. I had a very similar experience when I went to the MBA program at BYU. I looked around and, you know, one of the guys in my group had gone to Harvard and they were smart, you know, the, the group really smart people and capable. And I had never viewed myself as a very smart person. You know, I loved sports and I thought I, I can play sports against anyone. I really had dedicated myself to the gospel and I felt like I was, I, I never felt insecure about my understanding of the gospel and things like that. But intellectually, I never felt like I was very smart. And so I remember looking around and thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't belong here. I mean, like these people are really, really smart. But then I went back to the same thing and I thought, yeah, but I'm just going to do my best. I don't need to compare myself with others. I just need to be the best me, which is what I'd done at Rick's. And after fall camp, I came out of fall camp and I was um, I was um, one of our starting receivers And so, and the same thing happened at BYU where I went and I just started working and I didn't know if anyone recognized what I was doing, but, um, I started to get, have a lot of success with the companies I was interviewing with. And a lot of it was how I was preparing. And so as that started to happen, all of a sudden people started coming to me and they were saying, Sean, what are you doing and help us? And anyway, and then I ended up being, um, 
um, asked to be a Sherpa. Um, a Sherpa. Yeah, my second year and to oversee the whole program to help people find jobs. And anyway, it was just this little by little, but there, there have been multiple times in my life where I get to something, I look around and I'm like, I, I can't compete. I can't, but I'm just, I'm just going to do my best. I'm going to just be my best every single day. And that's what I've tried to do. And then you find that there are very few people who are willing to give their very best every single day. Like one of the things that I've noticed about people who are successful in life is they don't quit. They don't give up. It doesn't mean they don't have failure. A lot of them have a lot of failure, but they're not people who give up easily. And I think that's been one of the things for me is, um, you know, there's sometimes discouragement, there's things like that, but you just don't quit. You just keep going. And over time, I guess it's kind of like the tortoise and the hare, right? Is over time, um, slow and steady does win the race. Absolutely. Is there any other experiences you want to recall on that have strengthened you either spiritually or on a uh, emotional level from playing sports? I was thinking, Beth, and I know this is kind of a long poem, but this poem had a huge impact on my life. Um, and it's a poem called The Race. You, you probably, you, I'm sure you know it well. Mm -hmm. But um, would you mind if I read it? Please. It's probably way too long. I, again, no, this is probably great. not great for a podcast. But as I look back at, you know, what inspired me, this, this poem for me captures a lot of it. So I'll read it to you. It says, whenever I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race, a children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well, excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race, or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. Their parents watched from off the side, each cheering for their son, and each boy hoped to show his folks that he would be the one. The whistle blew, and off they flew like chariots of fire. To win to be the hero there was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular, whose dad was in the crowd, was running in the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field and crossed a shallow dip, the little boy who thought he'd win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his arm flew every place, and midst the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. As he fell, his hope fell too, he couldn't win it now. Humiliated, he just wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face. <laughs> which to the boy so clearly said, get up and, and win that race. He quickly rose, no damage done behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished that he had quit before with only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now, I shouldn't try to race. But through the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face with a steady look that said again, get up and win the race. So he jumped up to try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast. 
Sorry, Beth, that's not part of the poem. <laughs> Exceeding everything he had, he gained eight, then 10. But trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat, he lay there silently. He tripped, a tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out, why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. You haven't lost at all, for all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Get up, the echo urged him on. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win that race. So he rose up to run once more, refusing to forfeit. And he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still, he gave it all he had and ran like he could win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered another boy who crossed the line in one first place. Head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line in last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low and proud, you would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his daddy sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and bleak and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me win my own race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all, and all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. And when depression and despair shout loudly in my face, another voice within me says, get up and win that race. So that for me, Beth, that poem, um, <clears throat> I've pulled it out often and just read it and it, and it does, it inspires me. Um, there's a lot of other scriptures that inspire me. There's people from the scriptures. You know, I mentioned Paul earlier. Um, I love Nephi and Alma and Zeezrom and, you know, several, Captain Moroni. Um, I, I love all of these people from the scriptures who've been tremendous heroes to me. And they've inspired me at different points in my life. But um, I think that poem captures for me, you know, what, what's expected of each of us. I think our Heavenly Father does expect us to give our very best. You know, we get so overwhelmed sometimes with, I can't be perfect. I can't. But what I think he loves, I think he loves effort. And I love when President Nelson said that. Um, that's what he wants. He wants us to do our very best. And, and he'll make up the difference. Um, you know, whether that's huge or small, he makes up the difference. Um, just get up and try and race and do your best. And so for me, sports have taught me that. They've taught me that. And I love sports. I love it with my kids. I love them learning some of those lessons that I learned, you know, hard work and disappointment. And, um, you know, I, our, our oldest son threw in the stake track meet and he didn't do as well as he wanted to. And he was devastated. And my heart just broke for him, you know, as I went over and <laughs> watched his disappointment and, um, but I was proud of him, how he responded to it. And I thought this will help him, you know, as a missionary, things don't always go as you want. As a father, things don't always go as you want. As a husband, things don't always go as you want. And you can either quit and you can kind of bury your head and 
or you can face it and you can be better. And um, so anyway, I love sports. <laughs> I love sports. They teach you a lot. Well, <laughs> I, first of all, I want that poem. So <laughs> can you send it to me? I know I've, I've heard it before, but I've never like written it down. But um, I want you to know that you're one of my heroes. And um, with it being my birthday, I mean, we're recording early, but it's technically my birthday. <laughs> you're one of the greatest gifts that I've received in my life for your example and your support and your total loyalty to us and the family and, and to me personally. So the last thing I asked you, and I know I asked when you and Melissa were on my first, my first podcast interview was you too, but um, how do you personally seek light on a daily basis? So Beth, I have to say something, then I'll go and I'll answer that question. Okay. Okay. Well, I feel the same about you. You know, when I was in eighth grade, Dave and Matt, you know, they left on their missions a year apart. And I remember when Matt left, I had done so much with them. You know, I had friends at school and things like that. But in the end, I love spending time with family. That's, I mean, um, that's what I remember is going and playing basketball and doing things together as a family. Like those were the things. And when Matt left, I remember going into my room and just sleeping. And as I think back now, I think I went into a little bit of a depression and I, I, it was so hard for me when he was gone and they were gone and I felt so alone and you filled that void. I remember we, became so close, you know, when I was in high school and you'd always been a protector for us. <laughs> in fact, I was just telling my kids a bunch of different stories about you and, and how you protected, not just me, but all of us, even though you weren't older than Matt and Dave, <laughs> but, but you were a protector, but our friendship, um, Beth, I thought was amazing and was such a blessing to me. And I know people would ask me, you know, is that your girlfriend? I'm like, no, it's my sister, you know? And, <laughs> and anyway, but I just, I really appreciate you and you blessed my life. I mean, I, I, God just puts people in our lives when we need them. He really does. And I'm grateful for the role that you've played in my life. And um, you're, you're an amazing person and continue to inspire me today. I think of you often, I tell our youth and our word about you a lot. And, um, <laughs> and anyway, just different, different things because they're facing hard things. And anyway, you were always a tremendous example of overcoming your own adversity. And anyway, so I love you and I'm grateful for you. So how do I seek light in my own life on a daily basis? Um, I love the scriptures. I really love the scriptures. I love the book of Mormon, especially. Um, there's just a different spirit when you read the book of Mormon and I love all scripture. I think it's all good, but the book of Mormon for me is really, really powerful. So I love to study the scriptures. I love to sit and ponder. I'm, I'm probably more of a ponder. I used to drive in the car a lot and I love to just sit and I would listen to, to church music. And sometimes I would have, like, I, I would just start crying because I was just having these experiences. I'm sure people passing me thought I was some sort of a wacky, but you know, um, the scriptures, music, music for me is one of the most powerful ways that I can feel the spirit in my life listening to good, uplifting music, um, and pondering, pondering just on, you know, as I look around and I think about things that I'm grateful for, and I think about things that I've read in the scriptures and just have those ideas and, or the music that's playing, um, for those, for me, those are things that really strengthen me on a daily basis. 
I also love church. You know, I love going. I, I, I can feel it when I miss a Sunday and I don't take the sacrament or things like that. Like I need that church experience, that weekly church experience for me strengthens me and fortifies me and prepares me to go into the week. So um, th those are just simple things that, that I do. Um, I, I'll share one other thing, Beth, I've shared this with a lot of our youth is, you know, each of our bodies respond different to training. And, you know, some, they can run a long, long ways. Others can lift a lot of weights or whatever. I think our spirits are like our bodies. I think our spirits are unique and there's different things that strengthen our spirits. And so a lot of times I'll ask, you know, what is it for you? Is there something unique? You know, reading the scriptures, saying our prayers, you know, going to church, things like that. It's good for all of us. It's kind of like eating, sleeping, exercise. They're good for, for everyone's bodies. But what is unique about your spirit? What does it need? And for me, music is one of those things. Like my spirit loves I love music. It just, it, it, it helps me. It strengthens me. I love being out in nature, like in just sitting and listening to the wind blow or feeling the wind blow. Like those are things that strengthen my spirit in a unique way. Um, so anyway. Well, I guess again, it's the DNA because I love music and I love being outside. So Sean, I love you. And um, I'm grateful that I am I am regularly reminded of you and, and your greatness and, and how much you've impacted me by these other stories that I watch with Brett Favre, and <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, and Jerry Rice. But um, so thank you so much for taking the time today to be with me and um, share some of your stories from experience at athletics and excelling in them and what they taught you. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.